Amen. You may be seated. Welcome. It's great to see you this morning. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, if you would, and find your way to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, if you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the black Bibles in front of you. And you can find 1 Peter on page 953. It's an opportunity for us to look into what God's Word has to say to us. Well, two years ago, Jeremy Fritz, one of our leaders, one of our small group leaders, was nice enough to loan me one of his mountain bikes. And I think that Jeremy was trying to send me a message. It was a gracious thing, but I'm not sure what that message was. But I remember the first time out, I thought I was going into cardiac arrest. Here's the sad part. I wasn't even on a mountain trail. I was just on a, a, like a walking path over in the, in the, in the uh, Phoenix Mountain Preserve. But over time, I got on the trails. I started to figure out the bike. I figured out what trails I should be on, what trails I definitely shouldn't be on. And it really, I really started to enjoy it. And finally, I bit the bullet. Actually, Pam and I bit the bullet. We bought my own bike. And uh, yeah, I really was just became really thankful for what I got. The fact that I had this, this mountain bike. We live close to hundreds of miles of trails. There's many people in this, many guys in this church, probably women too, that love to mountain bike. And I just think, man, what a great thing that we have here. What a great possession. And one thing I learned is I love going downhill. <laughs> kind of coasting. It, it was great. I mean, I, I loved it. And, but you know the old saying, what goes down must come up. Something like that. And so when you go down, you're going to have to go up. But I, I, I love to coast, but you can't coast all the time. Here's the deal. You can be excited about the trails. You can be excited about the bike. You can be excited about the different people that want to go with you. But there's more than just knowing what you have. There's something you must do. At some point, you kind of have to pedal. Unless you have an e-bike, which I don't have. But that's where we find ourselves in 1 Peter. Peter has just explained this great possession that all of these believers have, those that are suffering, those that are going through trials. He's telling them about this great possession. And they could have sat there and just gotten all excited about this possession. But now he's getting, to remind, he's getting ready to remind them, what do they have to do with what they possess? He's reminded them. Of how great their salvation was, how they, they've, they've been born again to a living hope, that they've had this great, this great inheritance as God's children. He reminded them of this, this redemption that they had. It had been foretold by the prophets. It was indicated by the Holy Spirit. It was testified to by the apostles. And it was longed to be seen by the angels. This understanding of their salvation was not just an invitation to rejoice and then coast. That understanding should motivate them to live differently, to live out their faith in a way that glorifies God. Peter, to this point, has been speaking in indicatives, indicatives, facts, telling them about what they have. But now he gets ready to move from the indicatives to the imperatives. An imperative is a command. Based on this, these facts... This is now the life you're called to live. 
And the fact is, their salvation should motivate them to live a certain way. The indicative motivate us towards the imperatives. So here's the big idea of the message today. If you're taking notes, I always encourage you to do that. A right understanding of the greatness of your salvation should change how you live. Not just knowing what you possess, but that possession must motivate you to right living. A right understanding of the greatness of your salvation should change how you live. The Christian life is not about coasting. Once you've been saved, you now have a walk that we're called to walk. In fact, look what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. And Paul is writing to those in Colossae. He's heard about their faith. He says, and so from the day we heard, heard of your salvation, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It's this knowledge of what you have that should change how you walk. But he, he then goes on to say, you don't have to do this in your own strength. You, you, you're not called to do this in your own power. Look at what he says in verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. The minute we be become saved, we are now indwelt with the Holy Spirit. So we have the power to walk a walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called. So what I want to look at today, well, let me just first this. Let me, let me read the passage. And then I'll tell you what we're going to look at today. Starting in verse 13, chapter 1. Therefore... We're going to go back and talk about that word. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Last week, we looked at four facts of your salvation. Now we're going to look at four responses to your salvation. Four responses to your salvation. Here's the first response. Set your hope on God's glory. Set your hope on God's glory Look again at verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, this is a transition. The word therefore tells us that a conclusion is getting ready to be shared based on the facts that we've just heard. In other words, there's some imperatives based on the indicatives. And therefore is always a reminder that we need to go back and see what it is there for. And the therefore 
is a result of this great salvation that Peter's been talking about. And so now he says, those of you that have been suffering, going through turmoil, this salvation should be motivation for you to live differently. The fact is, God has given you a living hope, and that should lead to holy living. What he's saying here, it's time to get serious about your walk with Christ. Now, some of you right now might need to be hearing that word. Maybe today, January 11th, 2022, maybe it's time I really get serious about my walk with Christ. Maybe I haven't been. So Peter's challenging his readers, and he's challenging us to look beyond our present circumstances, to look up when life is down, and it starts with the mind. Notice what he says. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. He says, I want you to get your minds in the right place. You need to take your thinking away from this stinking thinking and put it on Christ. We need to change our mindsets. It starts with our thinking. Peter is saying, prepare your minds. Based on this incredible salvation that you've been gifted with, it's time to prepare your minds. The fact is the enemy would love for us to focus on things that aren't of God. How does he do that? Well, just pull out your iPhone or your Android. That right, don't pull it out. But, 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 but. There's so many distractions. There's so many things that take our focus away from him. He's saying, literally here, it's gird up the loins of your mind. It's kind of an interesting statement because when you see in the Bible this girding up, it's the idea of, you know, they wore long robes, even, even, even uh, soldiers. But when it was time to go into battle, they would gird them up so they were free to run. And it was, you know, girding up yourselves, but now it's girding up the loins of your mind. He's saying, get your mind set. And then he says, and being sober-minded, having right thinking once again, It's being resolved not to compromise. It's being resolved not to be morally indecisive, but to be morally decisive. In fact, we talked about that with our men this week as we were talking about integrity. And we talked about the fact that you must make decisions before you even walk out the door. I am resolved that I am not going to live that way, that I'm going to live the way that the Lord calls me to live. But he says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, he says this. And this is the first command. He says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your mind on the grace. This setting your hope. Notice it's not partially, but it's fully. It's not like having this divided mind, divided heart. But notice what he's telling us to set our hope on. The grace. What's he talking about? The salvation that we've received. We receive salvation by 
grace through faith. It's a grace gift. Our, our salvation, he says, set your hope on the grace. You receive this incredible grace. That's where sh- your hope should be set on. We should be reminded of this incredible salvation. And I need to set my hope on it. But notice, it's not just one time. It's continually setting our hope on the grace that we've received that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, notice what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to look ahead beyond this present circumstance to the ultimate salvation when you're glorified in heaven. In fact, this is the fourth time in the first 13 verses that Peter has really referred to end times, to the return of Christ. We see it in verse 5. Notice what he says. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. We know that at the return of Christ, our salvation will be, will be, will be confirmed. And then we see it again in verse 7. He says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of, of Jesus Christ. Once again, pointing us to the return of Christ. We see it again in verse 9 where he says, he says, uh, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And then once again, he says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter is wanting us to focus our minds Focus our hearts, set our hope on the salvation that is to come, God's grace. He's saying, take the long view, not the short-term view. Keep looking towards your final salvation. Keep looking to the prize of your inheritance. In fact, Peter was like that. Excuse me, Paul was like that. All the apostles were, but Paul really was like that. Look at what he says in Philippians chapter 3. He says, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind. I think that's a great, listen, if we get buried in our past, we can never move forward. He says, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. He understands, his focus is on the return of Christ. That motivates how he lives. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature, and we should all be maturing, think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Are you thinking about the prize? It should make a difference how we live. When we truly comprehend our salvation, we should want to set our hope fully on God's grace. It's because we have a settled hope. We truly understand our salvation. That we're settled in that. All right, so our first response to our salvation is to set your hope fully on God's grace. Secondly, make your practice match your position. Make your practice match your position. Now, we've been talking about Peter, but let me talk about Paul for a minute. When you read Paul's letters... The Apostle Paul, who wrote at least 11 of the epistles in the New Testament. More often than not, Paul's letters are broken up into two parts. The first part are the indicatives, the facts. The second part 
is how we should respond to those facts, the imperatives. In fact, if you read Ephesians, Ephesians 1 through 3, chapters 1 through 3, is all about the indicatives, who we are in Christ, the incredible, uh, the incredible things that God has done and what he's done in us. And then the second half is about the imperatives. In fact, look what he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. This is the transition. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you, based on everything I've said, I urge you to walk in a manner, uh, in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So once again, there's this movement towards the imperatives. And what he's saying is make your practice match your position. You've been saved. You've been redeemed. You've been restored. If anyone's in Christ, their new creation, the old is gone. Behold, the new has come. You are loved. You've been adopted. Based on that, we should now act more like our heavenly father than we did before we were saved. You have a new nature. You belong to a new family. Live that way. So Peter's doing the same thing here. Notice this. Let, Let me just say this. If the imperatives come first, like you must live this way, you must act this way, you must treat people this way, it feels very legalistic. And we have to be so careful of that. But notice, because of God's grace, the indicatives come first and there, then the imperatives. Based on all God has done for you, let your life reflect that. But if it's always about you need to do this and this and not do this and this, I'm just like, you get exhausted. Let, let me give you an example. God graced me and Pam with two great boys, men now. The fact is, they did not have to work to become our sons. It was purely God's grace. God gifted them to us, and now we're called to be good stewards of them. But now that they are ours, there are certain expectations in how they are to live. And if they truly recognize what a great mom and dad they have, they're going to live a little bit differently. Now, that illustration doesn't even come close to us as we have a new heavenly father who is perfect in every way and we are not. And shouldn't we live in a way that reflects that new heavenly father? So look at verse 14. There's this assumption here based on our new Position in Christ. He goes, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. <laughs> that was kind of a kick in the teeth. Do not be conformed. He says, as a result of your new salvation, don't live like you used to live. You're called to a new way of living. Don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, to the way you used to be before you knew Christ. If the truths of verses 1 through 13 are really impacting you, then the logical response is obedience. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, 
something interesting about Romans 12 is it is really the, the changing point in the book of Romans, which Paul wrought, wrote. Verses, chapters 1 through 11 are all the indicatives, telling us everything about Christ and what he has done and how our lives has changed. But now starting in chapter 12, verse 1, there's a therefore. So now we're told how we're called to live. Let's look at what it says. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, based on everything I've just said, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Again, there's this, this, this challenge to change our minds, change our thinking. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable, acceptable and perfect. As new creations, we have been set apart. And that's where we get the word holy. It means to be set apart. In fact, look at verses 15 and 16. He says, but as he who called, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Again, we're talking about conduct now. How we live based on what God has done for us. And then he says, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am am holy. That word holy means to be different, to be set apart. It's the idea of living by a higher standard than the world. It starts with the mind and then conforms, uh, informs our convictions. The implication is my hope in Christ should cultivate holiness in Christ. My hope in Christ should cultivate my holiness. And what Peter does here is he quotes Leviticus 11.44. Now, can we be holy like God is holy? No. But actually, because of what Christ has done for us, we receive the perfect righteousness of Christ. The key is now to start letting our practice match our position when he says this, don't see this as a legal requirement, but a reminder of our changed inner life, which should impact our outer walk. I want to say that again. Don't see this as a legal requirement, but see it as a change in our inner life that impacts our outer walk. The fact is, Absolute holiness can never be achieved in this life. But all areas of our life should be in the process. Process of becoming more conformed to God's perfect and holy will. See, our desire should be to grow in Christ and to our understanding of Christ through his word. And as we do, we become less and less like our old self and more and more like Christ. It's a process. It's called sanctification. We're on this walk. It's a process. Let me ask you, are you growing? And I'm a firm believer if you're not growing, you're going back. Because there's such a draw to that old life. The world is watching Christians. 
They watch how we respond. Has this Christ that you declare, has he really changed you? How do you respond in trials? Doesn't mean that, like I was talking to somebody else the other day who, who lost their sister, passed away. I said, doesn't mean that you don't grieve, but you don't grieve as those who have no hope. We should look different. We should act different. And we shouldn't be weird. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're weird. Okay, I'm going to step on a couple people's toes right now. And I hope I'm not stepping on mine, but I got a call yesterday. We got a call at the church yesterday from a man who lives in the neighborhood. And he was really gracious. He says, I don't want you to take this the wrong way. But he says, a couple times it's happened now that Sunday morning at about 5 till 10, I see people speeding through the neighborhood to get to church. And remind them that God would probably rather them honor him than feel like they have to show up and, and, and blow through the neighborhoods. And I listen to that message and I'm thinking, there's no way. This is Hope Bible Church. These people would never do that. And I'm thinking, was it us? <laughs> but, but we don't come in at 5 till, till 10. But, you know, it's a reminder. And, and, and I wanted to say, well, you sure it wasn't the church across the street? <laughs> and I made them, I called them. Because I, I wanted to thank them and show some grace. Because I've been working on this message. And I, I wanted, like, there's conviction. Okay, here we go, Lord. Um, and I, I, but I, I said to him, I, I, I appreciate it, and I'll definitely say something to our church about it, and are you sure they weren't going to the other church? <laughs> and the minute I said that, I wanted to reel it back in, because that was just, that was like stupid. And, and, and so, he says, no, I watched them pull into <laughs> your driveway. And I said, well... We have some work to do. We are a church in process. We are growing. The fact is, as believers, we should allow our practice to match our position. People are watching. People are listening. Are we the aroma of Christ to those that are perishing? First response, set your hope on God's grace. Second response, Make your practice match your position. Third response, let your walk be in fear of your loving father. Let your walk be in fear of your lo loving father. So in Christ, we're born into a new family. God is our father. And that should be an encouragement to anyone who had a father that was not a good model. We have a loving, caring Father, God the Father. Peter relays how our faith should change our conduct. Once again, look what he says in verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. He's saying, listen, if because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you now can call God your father, change your conduct. While you're in exile, and you're thinking, well, we're not in exile. Yes, we are. We are, we are aliens. We are, we're just passing through. 
earth is not our home. Heaven is our home. But something else you see here. Not everyone is a child of God. Listen, we're all created in God's image. But just because we're created by God doesn't mean we're a child of God. We only become a child of God at the point in time where we turn from our sins and trust in the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then we become children of God. We are now adopted into that family. So this if is conditional. If you call on him as father, and I pray that you do, and if you don't, come to Christ today. Embrace him today. He says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now, that word fear, it's not a cowering fear, but it's a reverential fear. It's, it's a result of being a child of, of a gracious father that you don't want to disappoint him. You want to live a life that's worthy of the calling to which you've been called. But it's also recognizing that this loving God is also judge. Notice what he says in verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially, thankful he judges impartially according to each one's deeds, then conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. He says, knowing that God's, that God the father's judge should impact our conduct. In fact, let me put up a couple verses here. Uh, from, uh, uh, from Romans chapter 14. Paul's saying, then, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. What is that saying? There will be a day that we stand before God at the Bema seat and we give an account of our lives. Whether we did good, whether we did bad. Now this is not the great white throne of judgment where they separate the sheep from the goats. This is the Bema seat. And notice what it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There will be a day that we stand before the Lord and we give an account of our life. Nothing will be hidden. And the fact is that we are laying up treasures in heaven and at that point in time, God will then reward us and then we take those rewards and we will lay them at the feet of Jesus, which is an awesome thing. There will be a day when believers will stand before the judgment seat. That's why it's so important for us to lay up treasures in heaven. What are treasures in heaven? Souls. Not blowing by people in the neighborhood. No. Um, service, our gifts. In fact, what happens to the things that we do that have no eternal value when we stand before the Lord? Well, we know because 1 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us, let me put it up. Each one's work will become manifest. It will become revealed for the day, notice day is capitalized, the day we stand before the Lord. We'll disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. So guess what? There's going to, a blowtorch is going to come out. It will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, the foundation being Jesus Christ, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Speaking of believers, and some will be doing different works that actually have eternal value, and others will be doing things that have no eternal value. 
And if we're always thinking about our stuff, that has no eternal value. But if we're thinking about souls and the impact we can make on others, that has eternal value. Here's a challenge, though. We may look at someone's life and think, that person is a super Christian. Like, I could never do what they do. But the fact is, there are those that quietly serve behind the scenes. That do things without recognition. And they just serve faithfully. And the Lord knows. See, we think that we need to do things that other people see. But we should be doing things for an audience of one. Period. Peter's saying that during your time in exile, as aliens in this world, he says, conduct yourself with fear, with a desire to respect and honor the Lord with your life. Well, here's the last response to our salvation. Set your focus on the ransom that saved you. Set your focus on the ransom that saved you. Notice what he says in verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Peter's saying here, there's something that you know. And what you know should impact your conduct. What is it you know? He says in verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed. How often do we sit in the fact, now we sang about a song about being ransomed, about being redeemed. How often do we just sit in that and let that truth change us? What does it mean to be ransomed? Well, I use the word already, redeemed. It's to release or set free. It's like a slave being freed from bondage. In fact, redemption is one of the key themes in the Bible. It's found in 150 different variants, about 130 of them in the New Testament, about 20 of them in the Old Testament. It's the idea of paying a price to regain something back that would otherwise be forfeited. Now, redemption has a double connotation. First, it speaks of the person that's being redeemed. That's us, the one that's being delivered. But secondly, redemption speaks of a price that was paid. It's two parts. When we think about our redemption, we should always think in two parts, the fact that he saved me, he redeemed me from the bondage of sin and self, he redeemed me from God's wrath. But we should also be reminded of the cost, the precious blood of Christ. Notice he says here, not just the blood of Christ, but with the precious blood of Christ, something more valuable than gold or silver. Fact is, we've all been born into sin. We're all slaves to sin. We're all in spiritual bondage because of that, and we need to be redeemed. That's why every week I share the truth of the gospel. 
Because I don't want anybody ever to walk out of here not knowing that they know that they know that if they were to die today, they'd be in heaven with the Lord because of their faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, look what Galatians 3.13 says. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He took our place on the cross. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. It's, it's a reminder of 2 Corinthians 5.21, which says, He became sin, Jesus became sin, who knew no sin, that we might receive the righteousness of God. Amen. It's an ama amazing thing to think about. The fact is, we should set our focus on the ransom that has saved us. 1 Corinthians 6.20 reminds us that we were bought with a price. Ephesians 1 7 reminds us that we have redemption through the blood, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. This is what Peter's driving home. He's saying, listen, you've been ransomed for price. He's, he's been talking to those that are going really, through really difficult times. And probably many of us. And that ransom was the life of Jesus Christ. It was his blood. And then Peter points him back to the Old Testament, to the time of sacrifices when even the first time, the first Passover where they would have to take a spotless lamb and they, 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 they would sacrifice the lamb and take the blood and put it on the, the lentils of their house so that when the death angel flew over, he would, he would pass over them and the firstborn wouldn't die. But then you see it in the Day of Atonement where once a year the Jews would take a spotless lamb and take them up to the temple to be sacrificed, to atone for, to cover their sins. And Jesus became God's spotless lamb. In fact, John the Baptist in, in John 1.29, when, when he saw Jesus coming toward him, he says, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Peter's saying, set your focus on the ransom that was paid. That's going to change how you live. See, a right understanding of the greatness and the glory of your salvation will change. It will change how you live. How you think, how you act. The fact is, Jesus was bound so we could be free. Jesus died so we could live. And he was raised so that on the last days, because of our union with him, we would be raised also. The fact is, all of this was foreknown before the foundation of the earth. That's the awesome thing. That's the mind-blowing thing. He says that in verse 20. But he was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. <laughs> Don't ever take your salvation, your ransom for granted. This was foreknown, but yet in the last days, Peter is saying he was made manifest. And we are the beneficiaries of that today. Who through him are believers, verse 21 in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. That's why, that's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That was part of God's plan from eternity past. Now, going back to my imperfect illustration. Like my mountain bike, and like these mountains around us, some of the guys that love to ride, they're great to possess. But you can't just coast. You got to get out there. Start living it. Now, 
I've had two hiccups. You want to call them hiccups since I started writing. One, about a year ago right now, I fell and broke my ribs on a Saturday. That was a rough Sunday. I, I wasn't on the bike for a while. And then about six months ago, God just testing me, my bike was stolen. And you just can't get bikes. They're hard to get. Something about supply chain things. I don't know. But, but, but both times, I got away from doing what I wanted to be doing or what I knew I should have been doing. I just couldn't do it. And see, that's the same thing for some of you who maybe have not been living the life that you know you should live. But you can get back on the bike today. Start working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Start practicing what you preach. Me. Start letting your practice match your position. Being reminded of this awesome possession that you have in the salvation God has purchased for us. Set your hope fully on God's grace. Make your practice match your position. Let your walk be in fear of a loving father. And always set your focus on the ransom that saved you. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. We're going to take communion. But I I don't want to miss just an opportunity to, maybe for some of you, you've not been living the faith that you've possessed. And maybe during this time of communion, you just pray, God, forgive me. I know I've not been living how I know I should live. God, help me have a right understanding of this salvation and help me to live in such a way that brings you glory.